0: We are in the last week of our At the Movies series. Every year we take a series where we look at some popular movies, and we use those movies as a springboard to jump into the more important thing, which is God's truth from the Bible. And this year our theme has been the fight. The fight. So we're using all movies that are like battle-themed, war-themed. We'll find fighters and warriors, and we've looked at a lot of those. Because at the core of all of our lives is this battle There's this spiritual war, there's a spiritual fight that's going on, and we got to deal with it. And so it's been fun to kind of take a a creative jump into each topic each week. This week, we're going to look at what is the uh, most recent movie in the series that we've done so far, and it's also a very true story. How many of you have seen the movie Dunkirk? Anybody? There's two reactions. I've seen it, or what is a Dunkirk? I don't know. Uh, It was a really well-publicized movie when it first came out uh, just a couple of years ago. Uh, And the thing about Dunkirk is it's a real-life story, and it is like you could not make up a war thriller story more crazy and uh, just unexpected than what actually happened in real life at a place called Dunkirk. And so if you don't know the story, let's, let's actually kind of review some history right here. This is during World War II. Um, Dunkirk is actually a small beach. We've got a map, a beach on the northern coast of France, right, right next to Belgium. And it's across the English Channel from England right there. And during World War II, uh, in 1940, from May 26th, to June 4th, it was the setting for a crazy, unthinkable series of events. There was an army of some 400,000 British and French troops that were pinned on the beach at Dunkirk, surrounded by German Nazi forces with no hope of escape. And there's a lot of details we could go into on that. But what it was, was these people had no chance of survival. The, uh, the naval vessels that would have normally picked them up, the, the beach there was too shallow for the big vessels to come in and rescue them. And so they were just trapped. And so Winston Churchill, he was the prime minister of England at the time, he came up uh, with a plan. I'm sure that he had help, but he gets credit for it. Something called Operation Dynamo. Operation Dynamo was very simple. Orders were given throughout the British Isles that any ship or boat available, large or small, Make the journey across the English Channel to rescue the stranded soldiers. So we're talking average citizens, civilians, uh, fishermen, sportsmen, families. I mean if you got a boat, I mean imagine taking your family out, like, oh guys, we gotta get the put the skis in the garage because Winston Churchill's called for us, he needs us, we're now in the Navy. And they've got to cross over. Over nine hundred personal civilian vessels crossed the English Channel, uh, and they began to work. Now, they worked for over a week, and they began constantly uh, trying to get these men off of the beach, and they were constantly under fire. The British Air Force was flying over. There were Nazi mines and U-boats, submarines, that were there in the channel. About 200 civilian boats were lost in that attempt. But it worked. Of the 400,000 troops that were trapped on that beach, 338,000 men were saved. It was an overwhelming success. In fact, it became called the miracle at Dunkirk. It was actually a tipping point in the war. Many people believe had these men not been rescued, it would have been a decisive blow against the Allied forces and that perhaps uh, the British forces would have withdrawn, leaving the rest of mainland Europe just to deal with it. But instead, it became a rally cry. And for the rest of the war, anytime these troops were under fire or in tough situations, they remembered the heroes, those civilians who crossed, and they remembered what we're doing this for. We're here to bring freedom and liberation to the rest of Europe. And they continued to fight, and they wanted to to resist the oppression of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. Man, what an inspiring story. And I just can't imagine what that would have been like. I've gone on a boat. My dad's got a boat. I was out with some friends on a boat last week. I just can't imagine being under fire from airplanes and and the threat of of submarines and and knowing that if I don't do this, people will die. Well, that's the real life story. The movie was epic. I mean, it's kind of like you got to be into history and willing to let a story play out. Like if you're waiting... I don't know, if you want somebody to kiss or fall in love, like, this isn't your story, okay? But this is like, it, it's, it's a well-made movie, it's, and it is hands down a suspense thriller. Like, you, I, read one, re, I read one review on it. The guy said, like, while you're watching it, like, there's holes being shot in the boats, and, and water's coming in, and like, you, you feel like you could get up out of your seat and put your hands on the walls of the boat to stop the water from coming in. Like, you're just, you're in it, and the score, the music is amazing. I, I want to give you a taste of it. We're going to watch uh, one of the trailers that came out for it, just to give you a piece of this story before we move in. So let's check 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 out Dunkirk. The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach. Look back. there's no hiding from this son. We have a job to do. If we go there we'll die. See it from here. What? Home. It's intense. There's a line in that trailer that said, "Hope is a weapon. Survival is victory." What a line! You know, um, not many of us will ever have to go through that, thankfully, Um, and. I can't imagine being through an ordeal like that, but here's the deal. I think we can all relate to the idea that sometimes survival is victory. Like, I just got to get through today. One of the most common pieces of advice that I give people, because I think it's really good advice, is you only have to do this one day at a time. (laughs) Sometimes life is heavy, sometimes life is really hard. And maybe you know this in your life. You've gotten that bill in the mail, and you're like, how are we going to pay this? I just. I don't know how we're going to keep our head above the water. Or you're suddenly laid off from work, and you're like, what are we going to do? I'm trapped. Or you're dealing with one of those weeks where you just feel so far behind, and I can never catch up because there are only 24 hours in the day, and I need at least 39. (laughs) What am I going to do? Maybe your home life is a wreck, or maybe there is an addiction that's just holding you captive, and you feel trapped, and you're like, the best I can do is make it to tomorrow. Survival is victory. That's all that I can do right now. Here's the good news about Jesus. We can hope for something so much better than just day-to-day survival. In fact, we're promised in the Bible victory. We're told that through whatever happens in this life, you can make it, you can get through it, and at the end, you win if you're looking for Jesus in your life. People do overcome addiction marriages are restored. Understanding godly stewardship of our money has saved people from going into terrible debt or getting out of it. It is possible. All the time people find their purpose in life through Jesus, and it outweighs the hurt and the pain and the brokenness. But man, what do we do in the meantime? That's what's hard. And so today we're going to use this as a springboard to get into what I believe might be one of the the biggest moments in our story of the fight through this series. We're going to be in the Bible. So if you got a Bible, grab it. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to look it up on your phone. We've also got free ones we give away. There's a uh, gray shelf over there you can grab a Bible out of either now or before you leave the day. They're yours. You can keep them. We give away free Bibles every week. We'll be in Mark chapter 5. And Mark is one of the Gospels, which is one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And we see the life and the teachings of Jesus play out right before our eyes. And what we're going to find in Mark chapter 5 is Jesus and his disciples in a boat. And they've actually made a decision to cross across the Sea of Galilee uh, and into an area that they didn't necessarily want to go to. The disciples didn't want to go to anyway. Uh, They've actually just been in an amazing situation. If you read in Mark chapter 4, Jesus did a crazy miracle, like a meteorological miracle. There was a storm happening on on the sea, and Jesus got out in the boat and said, like, go away, storm, and it just went away. And I, I was trying to do that when Dorian was headed this way. Anybody else? Didn't work for me. But Jesus was just like, peace, be still. And so you're the disciples, right? And you just saw Jesus do that. And you're in this boat. And what's about to happen is going to be crazy. So I just want to look at the very first verse, verse 1, Mark 5, verse 1. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. There's a lot of history behind that. That word garrisons can be translated a couple different ways. It puts us in different places. But to the best of our ability, what we think is that, let's get a map here of this area. uh, And I'll walk over here so you can see it. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This whole region is like where most of the Bible takes place, okay? So down in this area, we've got Jerusalem. Up there where it says Galilee, there's a little bitty... It looks like a little bitty uh, lake, but it's a really big lake. They call it the Sea of Galilee. And across that area is a place called Hippos, okay? This whole region over here on the east is called the Decapolis, Decapolis, ten cities, okay? And these ten cities were considered by the Jews to be unclean, filthy, pagan lands. They would never go there. That's the land of the Gentiles. In fact, kids were taught as they grew up across the Sea of Galilee, we don't go there, okay? We don't go there. That's where we don't go. That's where evil things happen. That's where the bad people are. We don't go there. So Jesus is in this boat. And normally they'll get in the boat and they go to different areas of Galilee. But Jesus is like, we're headed over there to the Decapolis. And the disciples are like, no, 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 we don't go there. We don't. That's not where we go. Do you know about people over there? Those aren't our people. We don't go there. Verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. See, Jesus, this is what happens. This is what happens when we go over to that forbidden place, over to the Decapolis. Crazy people come out of tombs. Verse three, this man lived in tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. That's telling. Like, what? What's been going on in this guy's life? Not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Of course, we're right across the lake, and here we are, this crazy man. We found out later that, to the best of the understanding of this passage, he may not have been wearing any clothes, so you can imagine that was like a little bit, what is going on? And this guy's screaming. You know, there are people in our world that I think we can, we can associate this guy with. There are people that are, look, we're in a politically correct society, right? And you can't say anything remotely offensive, and like you can't say this phrase, Mm, That's not our people. You can't say that, but most of us think it all the time. You're in a certain neighborhood or you're with certain people or you go to certain places. You're like, I just, I'm not comfortable here. Why? Why? I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. My mama taught me this or my daddy said that or saw something on the news. Or we find someone that we just don't know what to do with you see people walking up and down the street and they're talking to themselves and they're a little bit like, what's going on with this person? What's, why do they have so many things in a shopping cart? Do they own a shopping cart company? What's going on? And what do we do? Well, we pull over and we invite them to our house for a shower. No, we don't. We put the windows up and we look straight forward and we keep driving. Now, this guy doesn't give them that chance. He meets them on the shore. Here's what I've been saying we've been saying through this whole series and something that is so true underneath the surface of all the brokenness in the world is a spiritual problem no matter what's going on in someone's life even if it's a mental disability a physical disability it all spurs from something deep down whether it was in our own life or a lot of times just the fact that there's evil in the world that our bodies are no longer perfect like the way God created them to be before sin entered the world And at the root of all these issues is something deeply spiritual. And Jesus makes no qualms here. He's very clear. First of all, uh, we're told that this guy has an impure spirit. I'm going to use a different word. Demon, okay? And Jesus, he doesn't like split hairs about demons. He's like, demons are real. I've got power over them. They're in the world. They make things bad. Now, in our modern society, we don't like to talk about demons because we're like, that's superstitious. Like, that's just for... You know, that was before science. You know, now we know everything. And, but look, I, things I've seen in my, in my own life and in the lives of people that I love and care for, where I know that demon oppression and possession is real, things that I would not believe had I not seen them with my own eyes, where people have told me similar stories. I'm like, yeah, well, maybe there's a better explanation. And then I'm in it myself, and I'm like, oh, no. There are spiritual undercurrents happening in this situation. and It might be more than undercurrents. It's more like undertow. And it's sucking people down. And so this is what's going on. And Jesus himself is like, that's what it is. The townspeople around this guy knew that something was going on. You notice that no one could bind him. Uh, This is an inhumane way to treat people with uh, mental issues and other issues. We don't just tie people up anymore. That's not the way it should be done. This is the first century, though. But this guy is ridiculously strong. Like, he is breaking metal chains. This is crazy. And so the people are terrified of him. And so he's just gone out to live among the tombs. And so he comes out slobbering and covered in all kinds of whatever he's covered in and he's just yelling at Jesus. And this is where we pick up in verse six. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice. I love that phrase there. Have you ever been with someone who talked really too loud and you're like, I'm just right here. I'm right here, bro. Like he shouted, he fell at Jesus's feet. So they're no farther away than this. But he shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus. It's like weird. I mean, you're the disciples. You're like, dude, I mean, what is going on with this guy? What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? In God's name, don't torture me. Now for the disciples, they're like, does Jesus torture people? Like, I don't think that's part of his MO. I don't really think Jesus tortures people. But there's something going on here. For Jesus had said to him, to the man, come out of this man, you impure spirit. We're looking at an exorcism. Jesus is meeting the guy that everyone thought was just a crazy guy. And it turns out this impure spirit. So Jesus has commanded this evil spirit, come out of him. And instead of just coming right on out like a good boy, we're not talking to the man anymore. Something within the man begins to speak and says, what do you want with me? Just don't torture me. Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Jesus is speaking directly to a demon now. Ooh, this guy. I love Jesus. And the guy speaks back. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Legion is a word. Uh, these are Roman times. The Roman Empire strong. This is the first century. It's a word that meant a large group of soldiers. There's all kinds of details you could get into it. But basically, it's a word that means we are many. We are like a, a small army, okay? We are in here. And so the spirit is telling Jesus that I'm not just one spirit. I am a mob of demons. This also could possibly explain the enormous amount of strength this physical body had. Because this guy was, he was eat up with demons. And so a time out here. Um, Have you ever seen the comic impression of Jesus? Uh, I remember Mad TV did one. Saturday Night Live has done it. Family Guy, The Simpsons. Uh, I just keep on going. And it, it portrays Jesus as this little pansy, weakling, and he's all got tiny little wrists, and he's like, okay, everybody, let's do this. And he's like, really, played I'm gonna tell you something. The people who think that's hilarious, they won't say that to Jesus's face, because Jesus is bad. This is a legion of demons. The entire town can't deal with this man. They're terrified of him to the point where they can't chain him down anymore. And Jesus gets right, the guy's in his face screaming at him, and he's like, I said, get out, and I'm not going to say it twice. Doesn't blink an eye. And the demon, the legion of demons says, please, Jesus, don't torture us. But can we still stay in this area? Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. So the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. What we understand about spiritual forces is that many of them need to have a host. And so that's deeper than any of our pay grade. I don't understand it. I don't have the right God goggles to see how it works. But this is something we see in the Bible. It's something, particularly in other parts of the world, we see more of. I think in America, we just kind of, a lot of times, uh, I'm not saying every mental disability is a demon. I'm not saying every crazy, angry person, bad person has got a demon. But I am saying they're probably around and we don't see them. But they got to be somewhere. So they say, can we at least go to the pigs? I love this, verse 13. He gave them permission. You may go to the pigs. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, then rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. This was an unfortunate day to be a pig farmer in the Decapolis. <laughs> like, got it. 2,000 pigs, they're all gone. That's, we could talk about economy and animal rights at a different time. But this is just like... They're all gone, okay, and they're like upset about it, and they're like, what happened? And it's like, well, what I saw was this and that, and the next thing, all the town they come up, and they're like, it was that guy, it was Jesus. He was talking to the crazy tomb guy, okay, and then and, and the pigs ran off the cliff, and, and look at this. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, And told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Jesus, get out of here. You got to go. Now, I want to take two things that I just want to touch on from this story. Because first, here's the first thing. Can we take a second to celebrate what Jesus did for this dude? Can you imagine what his life was like? Ostracized, alone, outcast, forced to live on the outside of town in tombs. If you struggle with any kind of mental disability or struggle, you know there are, there are times you're like, I just, I don't want this for me anymore. On top of that, he's got demons telling who knows what. Another thing in this, this first section, I mean, we saw at the beginning, did you notice what this guy did to himself all the time? He was cutting himself, constantly cutting himself. Um, and this is, a, this is a thing that has come more to the surface, and we've got more awareness of it more recently, but it's ancient, the, the idea of cutting yourself. And there are great organizations that have raised awareness of what we now call self-harm. and But a person who is living in a state of self-harm, and listen, this might be you. And so I hope that today helps... You find a voice and some freedom from that, an ability to talk about it maybe with somebody. But in this place, uh, you, you have found some level of stress or uh, emotional pain or spiritual turmoil maybe or something. And, and the cutting is a, a coping mechanism. It's just a way. And people describe it different ways. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to try to explain it all. I can't. But it's just a coping mechanism. It's just like the only thing that kind of makes sense right now is for me to cut myself. And also when we look back through uh, history uh, and several times in the Bible, we see that there are other times when there are evil forces, demons involved in, in, in idol worship, where the people who worship that thing, they are forced to cut themselves by the influence of that demon. And so, again, if you're going through that, I'm not saying you got demons in your life. I'm just saying this is this guy's life. This is, he was so down on his own self. That he his only coping was to be a cutter. And Jesus comes in and says, Get out of here. And I love this guy. Dressed and in his right mind. So if you've dealt with any kind of that kind of pain, I wonder you know, Jesus can bring that. Over and over he has, and he does for this guy. Jesus set him free. That's the first thing. Let's just celebrate what happened to this guy. Secondly, they're the people who knew him before, okay? The people who were scared of him, the people who had tried to tie him up, all these things. Did you notice what they did? They don't celebrate. Now, I'm sure that they were glad that Jerry finally put some pants on. Like, I'm sure that was a big deal. Like, yay, that's great. We, but like, they're not like, yay, look what this guy did for our friend. No, no, because they're terrified of Jesus. This... Jewish rabbi floats in on a boat from across the lake with his posse, says a couple of words to the guy that they didn't know what to do with. That guy's fine now. Pigs are jumping off cliffs, and I'm scared. What do they want Jesus to do? Leave. Go. Isn't that interesting? Now, now, in a lot of my reading about this this week, it was interesting. One guy said something I thought a lot of. He said, this is always the world's response when the kingdom of God enters our reality. When, when God's truth and his light come into an area that's pretty steeped in its own way, very often the world goes, I don't want any of that. You're messing up what I understood. I had a thing going here. And don't come in here with your nonsense because, and that's what they do with Jesus. They push him out. We don't want to have anything to do with you. But Jesus leaves a lesson with this guy. And the lesson is this. It's our job if we know Jesus is light in our life to shine that in the world so that the world can understand that they've been misinformed about who God is. In pagan society, which is what this guy's living in, they're taught that the gods are dangerous. Like, they're here to hurt you. That's why, all they know is that this guy's powerful. Jesus, he must be like a god of some kind or some sort of powerful, and he's probably gonna hurt us. Look what he did to our pigs. But if we can just take the lesson that Jesus is about to teach this guy, that look, we can show God to other people. We can show his true nature, And this is how it happens. Verse 18. So Jesus was getting back in the boat. It's kind of crazy because that's the whole story. They get in the boat. They float over. He does this thing. And there's not any indication that they stay any longer. In fact, we see later he goes somewhere else pretty soon after that. So it's like Jesus clearly went over to do this. This is apparently why he went over to do this. Verse 18. He's getting back in the boat. And the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him go. He wants to get in the boat. Jesus is like no no don't get in the boat he said no you need to go home to your own people and you need to tell them how much what the lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you now i think we all would have wanted to get in the boat i would i mean this guy's got nobody he's got no family he's living in caves he's like look man you, i like you you really made my day so can um how about I, wherever you came from i'm going to go there okay and jesus is like man that's great i love that you want to come with me but I actually i got a job for you Go tell people what God has done for you today. You go and tell people. And so the man went away, verse 20, he went away to tell the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. It worked. It worked. In fact, um, this is really cool. We only know of two times that Jesus went over to this region. Two times. He spent, a, he spent three and a half years traveling that area, a lot of places he went to, over and over and over. Two times he goes to the Decapolis, and uh, this was the first one. He meets the, 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 the demon-possessed guy, and the city runs him off. The town runs him off. But the second time he goes, you know what happens? He gets out of the boat, and he's greeted by over 4,000 people who want to hear him teach. You, are you familiar with the story where Jesus goes somewhere and he feeds 4,000 people? That was here. That was here. There's two times where Jesus feeds large groups of people. Okay, One of them is in the Decapolis. Apparently, this guy has left the beach, and he's gone and spread the word, and people knew his story about how, how crazy his life was and how you know, uh, oppressed he was, and they saw the change in his life, and then the word spread. Hey, that guy, Jesus. He's back. 4,000 people meet Jesus the second time he comes to visit. You know what I love about this story? This guy... Didn't go to Bible college. He didn't have a seminary degree. He wasn't in a small group. He wasn't discipled for six weeks by an elder of the church. He didn't read a book by a best-selling Christian author. He couldn't listen to a string of podcasts. All he knew was I was living in a tomb possessed by a legion of demons. Jesus showed up and changed my life. That was his whole story. Sometimes we overplay the fact that we don't know enough. What if I don't have answers to everybody's question? Who does? Who's got the answers to everybody's questions? Well, you know what we do have? If you know Jesus, if you've met him, and if he's begun to change your life, if he's helped you become a better husband or better wife, or he's saved you from an addiction, or he's pulled you out of the most important thing, which is our separation from God through our sin, and we recognize that, guess what your story is? Guess what your sermon is? This was me, and this is me now. Why? Because Jesus that's all I got. Let's read the Bible together. Now, what's even cooler is this. Uh, Christianity begins to spread, and, and, and it starts to spread around this area. And eventually, we find through archaeology that there were close to 10 churches. And I'm talking about, like, buildings, people's houses that were at some point dedicated, like, this is our church. And this, like, at some point, people start having church buildings. And we've, we've dug up close to 10 churches in this place, Hippos, where this guy was from. In fact, it goes on and on, and eventually the, uh, the bishop of Hippos lives there. Now, this is uh, Catholicism and a whole kind of piece of, uh, of Christendom uh, that I won't get into the history of that right now. But, but it's crazy because the seat of that region uh, of their, like, influence from the church was in that little town, a town at one point where the Jews looked over and said, we don't go there. That's forbidden. That's unclean. And one guy that lives in the caves meets Jesus. He starts telling his story. And one by one, lives get changed. And then when Jesus gets to come over and the disciples are there, they get to learn more. And as Christianity spreads, they get to learn a bigger picture of it. All because a couple of guys got in a boat, crossed over a scary body of water, scary body of water on a rescue mission. Now, we started out with this Dunkirk story, and I love the history behind it, but uh, I want to get back to it, because I think that there's a parallel here that we've got to embrace. Winston Churchill was given a speech after the evacuation of the troops at Dunkirk, and at the beginning of the speech, she says, we must be very careful not to assign to this deliverance the attributes of a victory. Wars are not won by evacuations. We get it in our minds sometimes that the best we can do is just go rescue people, pull them out, pull them out, pull them out. Put them up on the, let's just bring them to church. Let's get them in a little hostel somewhere full of, we're going to to, uh, become a monk or become a nun or just go, let's go hide. Let's just go take our own little sub-Christian culture and let's just hide in it and get under, uh, you know, and be safe. But we're at war with the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That was the very first work of this series, And we've been given tools and authority through the Holy Spirit to come into people's lives. I wouldn't say authority, but at least power from God to come into people's lives and show them a better way. Rather, the second thing that Winston Churchill said in this speech, and it becomes one of the most famous things he ever said, was this, we shall not flag or fail, we shall go on to the end, we shall fight in France, we shall fight in the seas and the oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight on the hills, we shall never surrender." God isn't offering us meager survival. Just get it one more day. Keep our head above the water. He's offering us victory. And that fight, that day-to-day pound, was done by Jesus. He came, and Scripture says he took his heel and he crushed the head of that snake. Now, yes, do we deal with the reciprocal damage of evil in this world? Yeah. Yeah, because we still sin and there's still bad people and bad things in the world. But guess what? There's still a good God who just wants us to come home? And you know what he's called us to do? Go on a rescue mission. Get in whatever boat you got. Find your way to the beaches of people's lives. In the places where they're struggling. Not just to pull them out, but to show them the truth of life in Jesus. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, for he, it's talking about Jesus, for Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Dunkirk was a real life story of real life people trapped on a real life beach. And they had no hope for rescue until a few people got in a boat and crossed the water and brought hope. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus left the splendors of heaven. He crossed over into our world. He made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and in the form of a man, and he became obedient, even obedient to death on the cross, and he defeated death. The one thing that holds us captive. He says if we turn to him, he will bring us life. John 10 says life to the full abundant life. In many places it says eternal life. So not just life like in heaven, not like one day it's going to be better, but today you can claim the victory. Are you still going to have to work through the addiction, the pain, the hurt? Yeah, yeah, but you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. God has sent a fleet, an army, that is the church, into the world to help you. He's also most powerfully put his Holy Spirit in the lives of these people to bring hope. Do you believe that? If you're in a place in your life right now where you're still working that out, I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll come back next week. That's all, that's all that anyone asks of you here. Just keep hanging out with us. But maybe you're in a place where you're like, you know, I, I do believe that and i am just never accepted Jesus as my own savior. Look, he's here. He's waiting in the water. There's all kinds of boat stories. I'm not gonna draw out the analogy too much. But he offers us an opportunity to come to him, that we confess that he's Lord with our mouth, that we accept him in our heart, He gives us an opportunity to be obedient to him in Christian baptism where we go under the waters. It tells us that that in those moments we are given forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God in our life. And Romans 6 says that we're baptized in Christ. We've raised to walk in newness of life. That is the victory. And if that's what you want this morning, don't wait anymore. Like, we're going to have a minute. You can talk to somebody. Come flag me down after church. Talk to anybody. Most people in here either will be like, I can help you or I don't know, but let's go together. I probably need that too. Or maybe you're in the place where you've done that. Let me just, I got to beat myself about this every day. Get in your boat and go find people who need the hope. They're waiting on the beach and they're surrounded by the enemy. But they can have victory. And like the man that we met, all you got to do is tell your story. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. Just know where to point them. Let's pray.